everybody, it's the Bucket Cast, hosted by yours truly, BucketReviews.com, film critic and podcaster. Yes, podcaster Danny Baldwin. After a long, long time away from the interweb, I am back and I'm reviewing movies. And so is Michael Retrospective, used to be Retrospective, used to be Retrospective's Guy Lester, because now he is the permanent co-host of the Bucket Cast. Say hello, Michael. Yeah, basically that's the new deal, guys. <laughs> oh, now... Michael, as the co-host, you have to pepper it up a little bit. Give it a little bit more aplomb, you know? Well, Danny, as I already explained, the two-person dynamic we're fi- fi- fitting into here means that you have to be the loud, manic one, and I just sit here back quietly and but why undermine can't, why you. Why can't we redefine the medium of radio? Why do we need the two-person dynamic? We don't need to be Adam and Dr. Drew or Kevin Smith well, Are you going to play Lozier. another person here? You're going to just develop split personalities? Yeah, split personalities. <laughs> Go for it. My time away from the air may have been mentally challenging, but I can assure you I've not developed split personalities. Mm-hmm. What are all those dresses doing in your closet? Dresses? <laughs> you caught me. What I've, happened to I've, all the cats in your house? Ro- Rocky? No, I've been doing Rocky Horror revivals and Hedwig and the Angry Inch revivals and things like that. It's perfectly healthy, perfectly normal. I thought you would have dressed up as like Elvira. <laughs> Mistress of Darkness. I'm going to dodge that one and get into our first movie. We're going to be <laughs> using this podcast as a means of doing reviews and talking about movie news and really doing any rant that I so choose. I, I, I mean, I think that that's... What's fitting of this podcast? I I think that we before we're getting into like too tightly defined a mold, don't you think? We were doing these retrospectives and it wasn't working. Yeah, because basically every show you just ended up ranting. Now we're gonna hopefully let you <laughs> rant and then be, I will step in and now we're just take it be back. Open about the rants. That's right. Okay. Uh, so uh, first movie. Uh, this is not a rant. Well, actually, it kind of is. A uh, cop out. We would turn it down a little cop bit. Cop out is speak of the devil. Kevin Smith. Cop out's the first movie that Kevin Smith has directed and uh, not written, which isn't working out really well for him, don't you think, Michael? Uh, his strength is definitely writing and not directing. Uh, yeah. We, we kind of lose the, the chemistry of the characters when we don't have him writing. I, yeah, I think his movies are uh, really made up of their soul, and they're all about Kevin Smith being Kevin Smith, and when he takes on something else, he's just that incoherent director that often gets in the way of his own writing. Uh, and if you're talking chemistry here, I don't think that Tracy Morgan and Bruce Willis have any. They're just, I, I don't know, they they, they play uh, essentially cops in Brooklyn, and it consists of a lot of talking over one another, and there's no real chemistry. This movie is an ode to the 80s cop movies of yesteryear, Lethal Weapon, To Live and Die in L.A., things like that. Uh, but I didn't get any of that here, did you? I... Honestly, I could say I was not invested in the movie one bit until Sean William Scott showed up. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, Scott, Sean William Scott really is a bright point. And I thought that a lot of supporting performance, I don't remember the woman's name, but there's a uh, kind of interplay with her and she uh, she's an interesting character. I, I love nondescript things, but <laughs> at any rate, you'll know her when you see her, uh, whoever you are, character, actor. Uh, and then I thought Jason Lee was pretty good playing the... Uh, the dad or the stepdad of Bruce Willis's daughter who uh, actually is going to pay for her wedding because Bruce Willis can't afford it. The infamous uh, cop cliche for that. What three minutes of screen time. He's actually there. Yeah. There are a few good supporting performances and there are a few bright moments, but normally it's really bad. The movie we know is going to 
you know, is on the train tracks to nowhere uh, when it opens to a sequence in which Tracy Morgan is interrogating a suspect and he's making all these references to 80s cop movies, which Bruce Willis's character, of course, has to spell out for us. Uh, he says, you know, things like, Jesus, now he's doing Al Pacino from Heat. Uh, and it's like, what's the point of doing a reference if you're going to tell people exactly what it is? The only reference, the only reference that they don't spell out for us is yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. And, and that's so obvious. Like, who cares? <laughs> it's not even funny, even though it could have been funny in another movie. Uh, and, you know, really the mark of Kevin Smith's ineptitude directing is that we get all these terrible music cues. And unfortunately, it has to be of horrible 80s songs and 80s score. Well, I mean, he chose to go with Harold Faltermeyer, who did uh, Axel F for uh, Beverly Hills Cop. But it just doesn't meld with it's the, one of those what we have that, here. Dare I say, would be best left in the 80s. I mean, like, <laughs> I remember, Michael, on the retrospective for To Live and Die in L.A., you ranted about Wang Chung's score. <laughs> um, and but at is, least that worked within the context. This is like, and dare I say... This movie, really, the only reason we're saying this is because even though it's supposed to be a parody, it just becomes a bad 80s cop movie itself. It doesn't add anything observant or anything real or spunk or anything. It, it didn't even really come across as a parody to me. Like, I didn't even feel that. Yeah, it's just reference after reference and they hit you over the head. Well, as I was telling you earlier, the reference is, you know, okay, we can get all the 80s cop movies and stuff like that. But then uh -huh. they start going out farther and farther into things that people aren't even going to understand. Like, you know, all your base are belong to us. It's it's an internet meme. Yeah, even Danny and all his travels of the internet does not know what it is. Yeah, I, I, it really feels like a seventh grader wrote the script. Like it was his English project. <laughs> Here's and, everything that I think is funny. <laughs> no, no, no. More like uh, I've watched a lot of 80s cop movies on TV while my parents <laughs> were absent from my life. And that's what, it, you know, a, a hack of a seventh grader at that. So, you know, Sean William Scott's good. Uh, Rashida Jones is smoking. And, uh, that's really all I have to say about Cop Out. I'd give it one and a half buckets out of four. Uh, I'd, well, I can't, I can't rate it because that's not my thing. But No? No, I would say you're better off watching the Red Band trailer because you don't have to pay for it. No, and you get all the funny parts actually, of the movie. go watch a real ladies cop movie. That Why too. not? To Live and Die in L.A. I can really recommend. It's now out on Blu-ray. Uh, even though it, it's, it's fair to preface this that Danny really likes this I movie. I love this movie. And I, you know, I have a thing for Willem Dafoe, and that scares me sometimes because Willem Dafoe has that weird, like, uh, gay thing going on about him, especially in this movie. So sometimes that <laughs> that urge scares me. But, you know. Uh, <sighs> uh, but for, for me to rate it, uh, I would. Come on. One, one, not, and, a, one and a half is. One and a half fair. sounds good to you. One and a half. Better Two, on a letter if I was maybe if I was you know feeling generous. Feeling very uh, generous. Well, one thing I will say is that my mo mother liked the movie. Liked the movie. Well, I don't know. When I went with my friend, he liked it too. He's like, I'm a sympathetic no, for bad. I'm sure he's our age. Yeah, he but he's like, I'm sympathetic towards bad bad humor. This I was just does like, not make any sense. So, so if if you're an older woman, maybe you should go enjoy Cop Out. I don't know. This uh, may be the perfect rental or, you know, well, night out. See, maybe or... I'd watch it on HBO as a bad movie and just to look at Rashida. No, because you can YouTube that. See, didn't, I love didn't, you, man, didn't if you, you want to look at Rashida Jones. I mean, didn't you know, movie. like, every time during the movie, Rashida Jones is hot, like, all three times we saw her? 
Yes, yes. And as you will see in my notes, I wrote she is hot every time uh, she appeared. At any rate, uh, that's Cop Out. Now, out on Blu-ray and DVD, which Michael and I have just watched, there is a much, much better uh, ode to old cop movies. This one being an ode to black exploitation movies. And it's great. It's called Black Dynamite. Michael, I think I'll hand it over to you to hit the reins here. Uh, where to start off with Black Dynamite? Um, from the the opening titles, which seem so straight out of the seventies, like with the the you know the multi, like the monochromatic almost. It's like you yeah, know. Un- unlike Kevin Smith's movie, this does a great job of referencing very particular things, like the split screening in black exploitation, the rapid jump cuts, things like that. There are actual things that this is referencing. Kevin Smith's movie just seems like he threw it all into a blender and it's all shaken up. This one, Black Dynamite, feels organic and like it could really play as a real black exploitation movie and work well. Well, I mean, as you were saying, the the specific things they cite, you you see the 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 wooden acting of like the minor characters, the production mistakes, the boom mic drops in, yeah, or it looks like it's shot on a soundstage, and he throws the guy through the wall and just you know breaks into a thousand pieces. Uh-huh. Well, you know, and it doesn't go overboard either because it doesn't become like it doesn't even though it's shot on sixteen millimeter and very authentic looking, and they you know really crank up the bass and things like that. It doesn't add in too many like scratched print. They don't go for too many uh, like jags at the grindhouse black exploitation experience like uh, Grindhouse uh, with Tarantino and Rodriguez's movie did. So I really appreciated that. They still kind of keep it an authentic, uh, true to the times experience. It's something modern that we can all enjoy. Well, I mean, true to the, you want to be true to the times. The story kind of picks up on that. Like he knows like all these forms of kung fu. Well, tell- he refers yeah. back to. Oh, you remember back when we were in Vietnam? Or... Yeah, let's tell them about the story because a lot of people, I mean, this movie only gro- grossed less than $300,000. It's pathetic. This movie grossed in its entire run about one one-hundredth of what Cop Out did this past weekend. <laughs> so, I'm, I, But I think it's catching on on DVD. So Black Dynamite is the title character played by Michael Jai White in what's, I think, one of the year's best performances from last year. He's got so much conviction as this character. It's really amazing. A lot of charisma, you know, he's got the whole thing down where he's kind of a hard ass and then he gets really emotional depending on what the scene dictates. When he's in the orphanage, for example, he yes. just flips out. Basically, there is an orphanage in this movie. So he's the he's the title like very, uh, well, I won't say shaft like, but very black exploitation, very black exploitation, strong uh, male lead who can, you know, has extreme physicality and, and is corny all at once. But there's this scene that you know i don't really want to spoil but basically an orphanage has become addicted to drugs and he has a bit of a flashback towards his own time as an orphan uh which is odd because he had a a mother when he was like 18 but (laughs) that's that's (laughs) that's really great i mean i there are so many and let's not spoil the final battle sequence which is (laughs) let's just say between him and the president Uh, and it's not too hard to imagine what that might be but it's really, really and, funny. And Nunchaku. Yeah. And so we we can't forget the the conspiracy theory scene well, where we have... The, we the, can't tell them what the conspiracy we theory won't, is. We won't. We won't. But, but Black it's Dynamite, the greatest Black Dynamite you know, uh, goes in this thing. There's, a, there's drug-addicted children. There is this new malt liquor hitting the streets, which is the subject of 
much conspiracy, governmental cover-ups and things like that. Uh, and, and the lots mobs of, involved. Lots of, yeah, lots of Asian action and things like that. Uh, but it does something, and that's all I'll say. So I give Black Dynamite. It does kind of, before we get to, to the final scenes, which have a lot of energy, between the second and the third act, it does kind of lag a bit. I, I mean, I remember A.O. Scott, who's the New York Times critic said that he felt like it would be better suited for, you know, a five, 10 minute YouTube sketch. And well, I wouldn't take it to that extreme. I think this is packed with a lot of references that make it well worthy of its feature length. It does kind of run out of a bit of steam in the middle passage, but on the whole, I think it's really entertaining. Um, yeah, I think some, it might be lost on some people kind of what it's supposed to be doing. They'll be like, Hey, they you know they're making all these mistakes left and right, but that's the intent of the movie. Yeah, I feel like you need to be a little bit versed in what black exploitation is, or at least the era of exploitation. Yeah, and it's kind of weird. They sold the movie Apparition, which is kind of a division of so. Well, I, I won't get into that, but uh, they sold the movie mainly to black audiences, like a Tyler Perry movie or something. The movie played mainly. It didn't even play here in San Diego. It played mainly in black cities. Uh, which is weird, don't you think? I mean, I thought this was more like the black exploitation art film fans movie, and it could have really caught on in theaters. Uh, yeah, I think you should have. They should have had a wider market. It should have been on the level of something like you know, badass. Or, yeah. Um, well, that didn't do that well either. But, but I mean, I feel yeah. they're on the same level, or the um, or the I think so too. And, and the the one where they did with Bruce Lee, where they were recasting him. Yeah, we really need to recommend Badass to those who haven't seen it. Uh, I mean, that's really a great movie that. Melvin Van Peebles did, I think. Or wait, Mario? The Mario, Mario Van Peebles Mario did uh, Badass, bad which is about... Yeah, and then uh, Melvin Van made Van the Pe original Sweet Sweet Back Badass. Sorry, I always get confused. At any rate, I shouldn't be. But Apparition has done a great job with movies like Bright Star and Boondock Saints too, in terms of marketing them. But they just didn't do their job here, and I really hope... I, I'm getting the feeling, reading Twitter and things, that this movie is going to be catching on as a midnight movie and a cult movie in future years. And I think it's wholly deserving of that. Definitely. What are you going to give it? I give it three buckets. Strong three buckets out of four. Three. Generously 3.5. Yeah. So we cannot recommend... Oh, and one of the best conversations you will ever hear in a black exploitation movie about Greek mythology. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so next up, a change of pace. We're going to be discussing... Uh, we're going to be doing our review of The Crazies later in the show. But next up, we're going to be talking about... AMC, which is a chain we used to work for here mm -hmm. in uh, San Diego. Oh, I, I I loved my time at AMC and I, I look me. back look back on it and I'm like, I wish I could still work there and get paid a lot more. But it's an interesting thing because um, they for the past now they've backed down, but for the past uh, oh, month or so. Well, well, hold on, let me stop you there. Yeah. For the, for the listeners, this is the part of the show where Danny's going to rant. No, we're not quite there yet. We're not quite there that, yet. The, we but we're moving into it. We're going we're, we're gonna to take the tempo up. You know, it's it's going to go slightly higher and higher and higher. It's yeah, the yeah, climax yeah. of the show, so to speak. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, now you may continue, Danny. <laughs> At any rate, for the past month or so, AMC has been tinkering with the idea uh, with NATO, not the North Atlantic Treaty Ordinance. <laughs> Uh, but I, it's completely reasonable <laughs> to make that mistake. National Association of Theater Owners uh, has been tinkering with the idea of not playing Disney and Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, which comes out on Friday. Wouldn't blame um, them. They've been tinkering with this idea because Disney said... 
Presumably, so this quarter of profits is stronger when they report to shareholders. Disney said, we're going to release Alice in Wonderland on DVD after 12 weeks in theaters, not the traditional 17-week window. And AMC said, what? What, 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 what? What are you doing that for? What are you doing that for? Um, and, you know, it's kind of a bait and switch, although movies just don't, especially in this front-loaded co culture, when's the last time a movie played 12 weeks in a theater? All this does is really slight the independent second-run theaters, like the Regency Academy Cinemas that Michael and I enjoyed Let the Right One In at in Pasadena for $2 a piece, an amazing theater if you can go to it. Yeah, the two dollars was almost the you know worth the chance of getting stabbed, but, but hey, that's okay. It was in Pasadena, <laughs> Michael. See, this is the but problem. But if, if you if you took Pasadena out of it and you look solely at the theater, no, the no, dark no, no, the no, dark no, no. corners and stuff like that. <laughs> it's the... a great little theater. They carved it up from it. But at any rate, we're getting off topic. <laughs> so th this move is really only slighting them. I feel like, right? You know, I mean, it's not going to be playing anywhere else twelve weeks down the line. Well, I mean, it's slighting them, but I can understand why. What AMC would well, feel slighted to too. All right. So AMC up until this week said, we're not playing this. We're not doing anything along with the major chain in uh, Denmark, I believe, or the Netherlands, the Netherlands, and the major chain in the UK. Since everybody, everybody's backed off, to my knowledge, AMC started pre-selling tickets. They balked. They just threw it out. Mainly because... What? It's just hurting AMC. Regal did a similar thing with Rush Hour 2 over contract dispute. So, I mean, should all of the chains have stood together and decided we're not going to play Alice in Wonderland? Is there a necessity for this? Because we are really, you know, destroying the theatrical experience. Videos are becoming more and more expedited. Teenagers are flooding the multiplexes like we don't know what to do. So, Michael, my question for you is, is this, uh, you know, leading closer and closer? Do we need somebody to stand up like AMC and stand up on a united front and say, we're not going to play this because we want to salvage the theatrical experience? Um, wholeheartedly agree that, I mean, there is definitely an experience to seeing a movie in theaters. And despite the fact that I abhor 3D, I just can't fathom seeing 3D on you know, a tiny screen. Yeah, I, well, you know what's what's interesting is I thought my reading on it was AMC was trying to leverage this as we're only going to play the 3D version. We don't, you know, we don't want your 2D mm -hmm. prints and we just want our high profile theaters to get it. We're going to keep screens for Oscar leftovers and things like that. But it clearly wasn't. I don't know what the contractual terms were if they came down in their contract. But see, I think so too. I think we really need... Uh, somebody to stand up and say this because all these problems, I still enjoy seeing movies at the theater. Mm -hmm. It just, it's unbelievable to me that people want to, you know, just watch uh, even as good, you know, as good as my new sound system is, which Michael can attest to, <laughs> I think. Good, good sub action <laughs> yeah. on Black Dynamite. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I mean, the, the HDTVs look good, but please, you know, there's something communal about watching a movie, especially a comedy or something. We can't let the teenagers win, you know? Right? Most definitely. They're already corrupting my beloved Midnight movies. Yeah, what, what, why has the Midnight become so big? I don't get I, it. I it's think like, it's become like, it's, it's like... Is curfew just disappeared now? I think it's become the thing to do. Like, 
I go, I go to these movies and I hear people asking what's going on. Like they have just wandered in and they don't even know what they're seeing. Yeah, anymore. we should go to like a serious man or something like that at midnight <laughs> and see if there's any teenagers in there. You know, what's with all this Jewish comedy? Any dimmick teenagers <laughs> <laughs> presented in three four a- or four three aspect ratio for twelve minutes? Uh, but but at any rate, okay, we agree. Uh, AMC should have had the cojones to stick to this because ultimately, ultimately, this is ruining it. Or was the, Regal backing them? Like No, Regal, Regal was not because they were terrified because they were the only people who didn't play Rush Hour 2 over contract dispute and uh, they were terrified of losing all that Well, I can kind of see AMC doing that without the backing of the I, I other I think they really chains. need to get on a United support and I don't know why AMC was badmouthed so much. But there's another theater chain that I would like to talk about a little bit more than AMC. It's a theater chain that's local. Here in Southern California, called Ultra Star Cinemas. <laughs> Danny's looking at me very intently. I fear for my life a little All bit. All right. But. In the last two days, now I was intending to do this before the last two days. In the last two days, I realized that I'm going to have to attend Ultra Star Cinemas. Why? We'll get into that later. Ultra Star Cinemas has been presenting movies. Well, let's back up. They were the premier, in Southern California, they were the premier chain to start digital cinema, which they've now, like, trademarked as their own. They call it pure digital cinema, trademark. How they, you know, have some exclusive right to digital, I don't know. But they really don't have any good projection. It's, I think it's 1K, it might be 2K projectors, don't, don't ask me, but it's like sub-Blu-ray quality. At any rate, Ultrastar, four times, four times in the last year has presented movies in the wrong aspect ratio at various locations two times before that i finally called it a day in november after the delmar highlands 8 location presented the box in flat 185 aspect ratio when it's supposed to be presented in 235 aspect ratio this effectively means that the picture is being cut in not quite half but being cut by about 30 percent so you're not seeing those edges of the picture. The average viewer may or may not notice this. They probably notice it on a subconscious level that something's not right. But basically, it's just like if you were to take a movie uh, in widescreen and put it into a full screen DVD. You're ruining the artist's vision. Why does Ultrastar have so many problems? Well, projectionists all the time forget settings. But when you have a 35mm projector, uh, the lenses, you're using lenses. The film is just fixed. It's finite. It's running through a gate and being projected, just old school. So the lens stretches that image. Everybody notices when something is in the wrong format. You have the two formats, flat and scope. But with digital, with digital, it just zooms in when you're in the wrong thing. So nobody really notices. Nobody complains. But after I complained about the box... Because I was seeing it at that location to see it in digital because it was shot in digital. I was seeing it to support the digital decisions that Richard Kelly, the director, made. Was presented in flat, the wrong aspect ratio, thereby cutting off 30% of the image. I told the manager, like I always do. I went back to the movie. It was not fixed. Went back out to the manager. He told me they were presenting it in the right aspect ratio. I promptly took out my phone and showed him the press notes on the film, which showed it that, that it was in you know, the wrong aspect ratio. What happened? He didn't do anything. He told me off. 
He didn't give me a refund. He yelled at me. He told me I was wrong, dude, you know, and you're crazy. So I led a boycott. For the past three months, I haven't gone to Ultrastar location. It's been uh, inconvenient, to say the least, because Ultrastar are the closest to our homes. And I both. Uh, and uh, what has happened is I've just had to drive farther and make sure of my boycott. I sent them letters, letters after letters, even a certified letter. They will not respond. That's pretty bad, wouldn't you say? I mean, like I said, even if AMC, a big corporate chain, was sent a letter, I think they would send two passes back. Yeah, I mean, just knowing... Yeah, like, here, shut up, go away. I mean, and at our location, we would have given somebody passes, even if we weren't, were in the wrong, or weren't in the wrong, rather. Uh, it, you know, it's just unseemly that they would ignore me to this extent, wouldn't give me a single phone call, wouldn't even give me a single reassurance. And Kevin Smith, in his recent... Uh, I was all prepared on this podcast earlier in the week, uh, inspired by, speaking of Kevin Smith again, he, you know, led a tirade against Southwest Air. I'm sure you've heard about it. But I was all ready to rant again against Ultrastar for not listening to these letters, not saying anything, neglecting it, and single-handedly really destroying the movie-going experience in San Diego, in my opinion. Well, I, you have to, I, I think it might be hard for, you know, people to understand what's being done exactly. You have to think about, well, what if you cut off 15% of a book at the beginning and 15% of a book at the end. Well, is that going to change the experience? Well, Probably. Yeah, but absolutely. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's a totally eliminating the cinematography of a movie. This mm -hmm. is, this is like, uh, you know, going back to the stone age. First we had VHS, which was full screen. Then we progressed to DVD. That was widescreen. You know, this is reverting ourselves and you have a chain in denial. They, like, constantly are doing this. Why? I don't know. I, mean, I think it's just laziness. It's not intentional. It's laziness. It's total laziness, and they don't know what they're doing. So, at any rate, let me fuse this all together. <laughs> You're wondering why I've been gone. Well, I had health problems, and then that's led into some, like, serious anxiety. And for whatever reason, it's worse at the movies. I get panic attacks all the time at the movies. It's probably because my initial medical issue with my gallbladder happened in a movie. I don't know. You'll have to ask the therapist why that is. But at any rate, uh, Ultra Star locations, because they have a dimmer image, they're in traditional style seating. One of the few theaters that, you know, have traditional style seating left here in San Diego uh, and they don't run the sound as loud isn't as bad. So I have had to choose between giving my enemy money and not seeing movies, which for me is a very tough decision. And that you'll know I hurt. I hate Ultrastar when you hear that decision, because uh, I, I'm I'm almost just not going to the movies because of this, because I don't want to give Ultrastar my money. So what am I, I going to do? I'm going to podcast about this every week. I'm going to remind the listeners that you should not go to Ultrastar if you live in San Diego. Do not go to a single location until Ultrastar has gotten back to... That's all I want. I don't care about the past indiscretions. All I want is an apology. I don't even want passes. I want some human from Ultrastar headquarters right there in Vista to call me. If this goes on for so long and I keep feeding them money just because of my passion for cinema i think we may do a podcast 
from Ultra Star Headquarters, where we go to Vista, Michael. Well, that might be and fun. talk to them about their indiscretions. Because they can't continue murdering cinema as we know it. So please, folks, I'm, uh, I love crowded movies. So, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, create less crowds for myself. As long as I have to go to Ultra Star Cinemas, you should not. Because I, I want the money to e even out. If you like digital, go to Krikorian in Vista. But still, stay true to the 35mm experience. I went to Ultra Star La Costa this morning for Cop Out. It was presented okay. Right proportions, right aspect ratio. Did not use the full screen. They used a flat screen and had black bars. And, you know, it was fine. But there were big presentation issues. But I was willing to put up with it because I saw the full image. It was about the equivalent of watching a movie on a you know, 20 inch screen on DVD. That was about the level of detail I got. I got enough to see the movie. I felt like I'm fair on the movie, uh, but you know, it's, it's a nightmare. So I want Ultra Star to get up to my standards so I can watch movies there, enjoy movies and start enjoying movies again. Rant over. Oh, I was totally ready to interject on my, my side of the rant. Oh, thing. well you give it yours, Michael, go ahead. Danny focuses so much on the, the, the aspect ratio of the movies. I have so many problems with how, Ultrastar runs their business. Oh, yeah. The past two times I've been to the uh, La Costa location, uh, the Sixth Theater one, is both times their ushers have taken out the trash or what have you. They managed to bang on the walls. So somehow, you know, it must be paper-thin walls because you can hear it well, next that's, door. Well, and that's destroying the cinematic experience, too. Yeah. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. It takes me out of the movie because I'm like, you know, what, what the hell's going the on? The thing I hate about it is how in denial they are. Yeah. They say, we have this state-of-the-art. We're your state-of-the-art hometown theater. We have pure digital cinema. And yet the presentation is routinely the worst in San Diego. They send their little usher boy to introduce the movie to everybody and say, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free. Come out and talk to us. And yet they're banging on walls. They're not paying attention to your questions. Their managers are the least trained, naive idiots in San Diego. And worst of all, I have to give them my money! Fuck that! Speaking of money... They also like to add tax onto uh, their concession stand, which AMC didn't. No, AMC did, but it's embedded in the price. But it's embedded, yeah. yeah. But you look at the price and it's like, oh, four fifty, okay. But you look at the thing up there and it's like four dollars. You're like, okay. Then they're like, oh, well, it's be like, you know five seventeen with tax. You know like, what the fuck? If you want to read my letter, which I think is very reasonable to Ultra Star Cinemas, <laughs> we'll put it up on the website with the podcast. All right. Uh, I think you should also put up the uh, your examples of what the the picture looks like. Yeah, when, yeah, you, when it's cut. I'll show you what it looks like. You know, in their airs. Again, I don't think they're doing this purposefully. Uh, although Delmar Highlands, for instance, although it it hasn't just happened at Delmar Highlands. But at Delmar Highlands, they have fixed aspect ratio screens, okay? So that means that the, the screen, the masking on the screen, the part that blacks it out, when the screen becomes smaller for scope presentations, there's no the screen doesn't come down. There's black bars on the screen just as you would see on your DVD watching a widescreen movie. Uh, so part of me thinks that maybe they're doing this intentionally. 
because people complain because of black bars just as they do you know on dvds mm-hmm. uh, but i i don't know i don't think they're doing it intentionally i just think this is laziness that the projection room constantly does not check the aspect ratio of films because this is constantly what they screw up on well aspect think, ratio i think it's it's multiple levels you know maybe the ushers don't know their jobs what they're supposed to be doing maybe the the projections don't know their jobs, and you don't have the managers enforcing them or showing them how to do their jobs. All right, so we're going to put up that letter. Uh, we're going to continue. If you want, please tweet Ultra Star Cinemas. <laughs> Retweet this podcast to Ultra Star Cinemas so we can get the word out, people. All right. Now, we're going to get to our review of the crazies here. Now, let me preface this. I was desperate not to go to an Ultra Star location. Very desperate. <laughs> So I tried going to the Krikorian and Vista, and uh, I didn't make it through the entire movie, folks. This this is painful for me because, you know me, I don't want to judge a movie based on, you know, uh, even lacking five minutes of it. Bathroom breaks are uh, problematic for me because I think I'm missing too much of the movie. You missed so, part of Cop Out. Yeah, well... <laughs> Frequent urination calls, my no, uh, but at any rate, uh, I saw the first 70 minutes of the crazies. I'm gonna offer my opinion, but I'm not gonna rate the movie, I'm not going to uh claim to be any authority. Uh, I couldn't stick out the whole movie due to uh, whatever is brewing psychologically in my head and giving me strange pains, but Michael. Michael saw the entire movie at midnight, no less. Were there a lot of teenagers at that midnight in Mira Mesa, by the way? Yeah, for some reason, this one week, Cop Out and The Crazies, only well, midnights were in Mira Mesa. Yeah, What's up with that? Well, it's, it's partially contractual and partially that there's... Mm-hmm. Uh, partially contractual and partially that they didn't think there were big midnight audiences for them, which is kind of weird to me because, you know, they seem very young movies. There, there wasn't that many people, but they put us in a fairly large theater for The Crazies. Um, I'd almost chalk up not a big audience to the fact that they cut back the the midnight. Well, because whenever I go to San Marcos, it's always full. Yeah, Shutter because Island actually, strangely full. enough, the the San Marcos midnights have worked well because, like, for some reason, San Marcos has become a college town between mm. Palomar and Cal State San Marcos. I've noticed a lot younger audience going there. Yeah, uh, and I think that's why the midnights do so well there. Uh, but it, but at any rate, uh, you're a big fan of the original Romero crazies. I take it. Giving you I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it, like it's my favorite of what he's done, but I definitely recognize um, it as one of his. It's a decent piece of work. All right, so give give us the general idea of the crazies. Uh the crazies. Basically, we're introduced to the town of Ogden Marsh. Uh, it's kind of a sm- actually a really small podunk. Is town. it Iowa? I, yeah, it's Iowa, I believe. All right, um, and you know we're we're introduced to the first day of baseball season the first day of spring and mid-game this man walks out in the field he's carrying a shotgun and timothy timothy oliphant uh who's plays the sheriff confronts the man and you know there's an altercation the man dies basically what we find out is he shoots the man he just shoots the man straight in the head yeah well i'm I'm not gonna go into it so much we basically (laughs) find out that a uh a virus uh weaponized virus has crashed uh it was being carried on a plane crash landed above the town and has fallen into the watershed and everyone is basically becoming like this this man who was killed they're slowly going insane or crazy mm-hmm. and they're murderous and they just get worse and worse part of it's just like them 
zoning out completely and then they just you know kill their families so like every other zombie movie basically uh no 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 i i wouldn't i would i feel crazy stands apart because one they're not zombies they're not dead they don't eat people they just yeah kill but them. it's the same but difference to the layman i'm to the layman and it's i would say it's different from 28 days later in the fact that they it's not fast the reason i would compare it to 28 days later and that's really kind of irked me is that there's a shot uh where we first see masses of infected it's the first time we see masses of the infected and they use this very uh, keyboard score and they use these swipe pans, handheld pans with the camera. And it's like it's just trying to imitate 28 Days Later and to a lesser extent that short film, Attaque de Panico, that's making waves on the Internet. Uh, you know, it just seems it's very competent. It just seems like an imposter to me, like we're going through the motion. Uh, but I, the the question I pose to myself is because when you know, you have the kind of almost two kinds of scares and the, the jump like oh god it's a oh, it's by a crazy the way, let let me just say oh, this. Come on, I'm let me there. just say this first okay the movie exhausts moments of suspense in which you know there's something lingering in the background but the character doesn't know it uh, and it's the, the boo moments are just like so like but that, I was about, you didn't give me a chance i was about to go there okay. we have those two kinds of moments the ones where it's like oh my god they're standing right behind yeah. them but they don't see it and then they're like oh god i jumped out of nowhere but i almost found myself asking is like in kind of this generation we're in right now uh -huh. is there anything you you can do that's gonna the audience is gonna take because if they if they think too much they don't like the film and i had i saw people walk out of shutter island because they had to think about you know, yeah, but who cares about audiences? We're just judging the quality of the movie, and frankly, I don't think it's here. I mean, well, I think I if saw. you're making it, you know, as a as a product, you know, you have to look at it that way. Yeah, but there have been great mainstream successes. I mean, look at the Blair Witch Project. That was oh, one yeah, of the most not, original uh, horror movies. I'm not saying ages. it can't be done. I'm just saying that it seems like the generic audience doesn't want to put any uh, the other mental. Thing the other, into the other it. problem I had with it is that I think that Timothy Oliphant is just such a great actor. Uh, and I hope his new series on FX uh, really soars. But he's just wooden here. He's not given anything to do, don't you think? I mean... Um, I, ju I just don't think there's, like, a lot written for him, which actually... Um, well, you're he, not, he, you're he not was... doing a very good job at defending this movie, Michael. Well, um... Give me your best pitch as to why it's a good movie, because I'm just not seeing it. I mean... Granted, I don't think it's a great movie. I, no, but tell me why it's a good movie. I just thought that all I think these it's elements enjoyable. just seem sterile and, you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've seen this a million times before. They're making the same thing. By the way, these movies seem to, like, be laden in social commentary. Like, you know, Romero movies are trademarked this. But the social commentary is the same every time. The social commentary of a zombie movie is not so much social commentary as it is theme A, prototype theme A. I mean, this movie makes commentary about weapons dearmament. I mean, like, how old a theme is that? I mean, it's like something better suited for the Reagan administration. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that because that was basically kind of more of a, a 70s theme and, and that's why it there. worked then it yeah exactly like, it just this is seems like so stock and i don't know you don't have you don't have it you clearly don't have enough passion about the movie to defend no it. i mean i enjoyed it but it, it doesn't stand out as something i should i will fighting say for. that the end which michael informed me of because i was you know too impatient to wait for dvd 
the end uh, did surprise me in that it was a little bit more thoughtful than I thought, although still kind of conventional from what Michael says. Uh, the one thing I will say for the movie that I liked about the movie is that I think it actually has some good kills, uh, unlike straight-up horror movies recently. There is a moment in which Timothy Oliphant's character has a knife lodged through his uh, hand and then uses that knife in kind of a smacking action to uh, put the kibosh on another character. That, yeah. that was a good one? Um, well, it brings me back to when we went to see uh, Diary of the Dead and Romero was kind of talking about like how he's always trying to think of something new to yeah, introduce Romero to Yeah, for a Q&A, yeah. And it makes me think of that, that, you know, it's not so conventional. Oh, they, he's just shooting them or whatever. It's just like, I didn't, I honestly did not see that coming. Uh-huh, um, yeah. I did not see him pulling the knife out of the ground with his hand still stuck in it. Yeah, I thought that was a good moment. I think the movie has its fair share of good kills from what I saw, so I will give it that. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, give it an actual rating, but I will say what I saw so far was about a 2 out of 4. i give it, like, a little bit higher. I might say 3, but it, I felt like, for what I've seen lately, it looked good. I felt yeah, like the shots good, were set up nicely. But it's, it's kind of derivative in that sense. Yeah. I mean, those very 28 days later, like, shots, it just... I didn't feel that so much. I really felt like it. I mean, especially in those scenes with the infected. I mean, the camera's a lot more stationary in other scenes. Well, but I felt like... I don't, I don't seem to recall these these big shots of the infected, and I think you're, you're a little bit confused. I think you're just referring to the people that were locked up, but... Yeah, well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean. But I feel that the film does one improvement on the original. The original was kind of like a multi-face thing. You saw it from like the... The, the suspected infected, I should say. But yeah. The, the This movie focuses on one group of people, while the Romero's focused on like three different... You know, the military, the scientists, and these these townspeople. I feel it, it was much more, you know, honed in on one group and it's work a little bit yeah better. well the original crazies is out on blu-ray and uh, we were going to do a kind of sort of review of that but uh, blockbuster online didn't get it to us fast enough so uh that's all we got this week uh, i hope you enjoyed it this show is definitely longer than usual we're going to work on improving our audio quality i think our audio quality today was much better than we had over the summer but this is our reboot it's a work in progress on the bucket cast if you would like to see anything uh, added to the bucket cast you can send me an email at webmaster at bucketreviews.com uh, you can tweet me at bucket reviews michael would you like to give out your twitter uh we'll, we'll see if this is go anywhere and then i'll then i'll throw it out there all right see if we got a fan base i want some fan mail first or hate mail yeah hey, yeah cool talk to us talk to us uh we want it to be an interactive experience next week we're going to be tackling johnny depp in tim burton's alice in wonderland michael's uh, not really awaiting it i'm i'm considering a you know booze to get through that that movie i'm going with an open mind and an open heart maybe we'll do brooklyn brooklyn's finest i know we're gonna do some Oscars. you can do brooklyn's finest first so at least you know have some heart there still well we'll i don't know Antoine richard year is a cop I but at any rate uh god willing we'll cover those two movies we'll do at least one of them we're going to talk Oscars big time because the Oscars are on Sunday, Michael. Mm -hmm. Who, you rooting for anybody? Hurt Locker? Hurt Locker. Everything. I'm kind of rooting for Avatar. I'm kind of rooting for Avatar. I, you know, I, I don't know. You, you should know the answer to these questions. It's always going to be Hurt Locker. No, see, the problem for me, I, I probably like Hurt Locker more than Avatar, even though I do have my problems with the third act. But 
it seems like the very like left wing like uh artsy fartsy critical community is so behind Hurt Locker that I just want to piss them off. <laughs> and I just want the big like movie. But see, when I think about it, Avatar is a much more left wing movie than the Hurt Locker is. So uh, yeah, Hurt Locker is definitely a little bit more even handed in its message, and it's not like war is bad or war is good. Yeah. So at any rate, we're gonna cover all that, and I hope you look forward to that. We should be able to have that up. Uh, uh, Saturday or Sunday morning at the latest. And yeah, I don't have a job uh, anymore, so we should be able to do this a lot easier. Yeah, I'll have to talk to you about why you quit. I'm very interested. <laughs> but uh, we'll save that for another time here on the Bucketcast. And uh, that being said, this has been the Bucketcast. I'm Danny Baldwin. I'm Michael Lester. And we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. We're on the front line. I get handed down the news. We're on the front line. Well, I never begin to choose. Just we're on the front line.